I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of the Culp Option podcast was brought to you by our Patreon. If you want to tell us which films we should watch, listen to up to two extra exclusive podcasts a month, or give us something to discuss in our new post-credit scenes at the end of each episode, then please consider joining the cult and donating at www.patreon.com slash Welcome to the Cop Option oh, Podcast. Hey, oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. What's going on? Oh, the world's ending. Oh. Nothing's clear anymore. It's, it's no one's sure what they're supposed to do. Hey, <laughs> Richard, we're we're we are coming to you, the listener, Richard and I, <laughs> from the midst of a nationwide lockdown. Um, mm. Have we recorded a lockdown podcast yet, or was that just uh, no? So our we re- our last podcast came out mere hours before uh, this uh, <laughs> level four was announced, as it's as it's mm. called. Um, uh, only a few days earlier, um, there had been a um, alert level system had been announced, um, mm-hmm. where alert level one is like the this is all about the coronavirus covid19 if if you're um, listening to this in two years and they're like what are they talking about yeah they um yeah it's strange times uh yeah so at the time we were at alert level two which is just like um oldies stay at mm. home don't go out if you can avoid it maybe if you can work from home and then um after recording that podcast uh we got raced into level four which is stay the fuck home yes um but hey look perfect podcasting fucking exactly this this is the time when we as podcasters actually need to shine we are shouldering the responsibility of entertainment now Mm. um and so so so, what are we gonna do we've got four weeks of nothing but time how are we going to uh four weeks minimum yeah what are we going to do are we going to provide any extra content for our listeners maybe do you want no. you wanted to do a couple of no okay well just we just thought we'd keep doing the regular podcast then just to keep you keep your comp well that's the thing you know we don't want to we don't want to make people uncomfortable by um adjusting their schedule in any way um no i'm sure keep your eyes peeled i'm sure there'll be there'll be something extra we'll be doing um hmm yeah, we, we've thought about doing little like watch parties of a film, maybe host it on mm. our Discord. Yeah, jump on the Discord, everybody. There's a link to the Discord in the um in the show notes. If you don't know what a Discord is, it's kind of like Reddit meets MSN Messenger, um, <laughs> where you can chat to us. Um, so head on over there. We, we should start doing our plugs at the start of the show. Yeah, because because uh, people just stop listening halfway through. Yeah, but so, um, yeah, get on the Discord. Yeah, because we've been we've been we did a little test the other night to see if it would be feasible. Um, still mm. working that out, but um, yeah, yeah, no. I mean, if you guys have any ideas for uh for extra content, we could provide you. Um, because I mean, 
uh we actually both are still working you're working from home but i'm um working i'm i'm having to go into into the office as an essential worker um but yeah i mean half of my days uh, i've got nothing to do yeah yeah so we we are going to continue on on film franchise fortnights which is what this is where we watch a film franchise every fortnight so we're continuing on through our um tragedy a tragic a tragic trek through the the james bond franchise and i use the word tragedy in in how you would use the word tragedy in the drama richard which is uh inevitable failure <laughs> knowing knowing you're going to die and yet you still keep going that is what a a, a the dramatic interpretation of the word tragedy means um and I say that, of course, because the whole reason we started doing James Bond was to tie in to No Time to Die in April. And turns out it's been pushed to November because of what I'm starting to think of as not a very good thing to happen to the world, Richard. Mm. Coronavirus. The coronavirus. One of many. But this is the... If, if, corona, if coronavirus is Marvel... COVID-19 is Thor Ragnarok. So it's I'm the not best making one. Any, well <laughs> I'm just I'm not making any any kind of I'm not talking about the movies themselves it's more like what's the difference as you as you explained to me was it on Patreon or was it just last week? I, I think it was just it. on the last last podcast. It's since then coronavirus, I'm not even sure that I was correct. Um, I've been telling everybody what you told me. So I hope it is. Uh, anyway, because I just I heard I, I saw another kind of description, but I think it's like um, Richard. I've just been telling so many people that COVID nineteen is a type of coronavirus. Um, so I think it's like coronavirus gives you the the strain of coronavirus. Coronavirus gives you COVID nineteen. It's like AIDS and HIV. Yeah. Oh well, that's less interesting. Anyway. All right. Well, this <laughs> tune this in week, next week for another description of <laughs> the difference between coronavirus and COVID nineteen. This week we're we're going to forget about that for the next hour and a half to two hours. Yeah, let's not talk about it again through this episode because people want want a distraction. <laughs> Looks down at my notes. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Looks at hand. It's coronavirus, and then I've then, just got, um, I've got bullet points under coronavirus for different <laughs> talking points i've just got two hours of fucking coronavirus jokes <laughs> so this week well, we can are I up just get to... one of them out of the way um yes so um uh, uh it's this it's got the same name as the beer what's that about oh shit this week we're up to our penultimate bond episode richard as we discuss <laughs> that's the pod vid for the week <laughs> <laughs> the penultimate bond <laughs> This week we're discussing Pierce Brosnan's four-film run as the character. So he portrayed Bond in Goldeneye in 1995, Tomorrow Never Dies in 1997, The World Is Not Enough in 1999, and Die Another Day in 2002. Uh, Brosnan was brought on after having been previously rejected for the role um, to replace Timothy Dalton, who ended up bowing out after his contractually obligated third film struggled through development hell due to legal disputes over the Bond film rights. You made it sound like struggled through development hell was the name of his third film. (laughs) (laughs) There was. Um, I'm probably not going to get into it too much more than just legal disputes. Um, 
I know just today actually on on um Discord Brent was like, Do you know how Bond how Pierce Brosnan became Bond? And you're like, No, nah, I didn't look it up because I wanted uh, AJ's running the episode. I don't know what he's talking about. I just thought <laughs> so well, I just thought they went to him after after Dalton bowed out. Wasn't there there's the whole thing about um Remington Steel and yes. how he wasn't allowed to Broccoli, broccoli. Who again is the name of the man, not the vegetable? Um, wanted to didn't didn't want Bond to be played by a current TV actor, which Pierce Brosnan at the time of of the Living Daylights was. But by the time by 1995, by Goldeneye, he was no longer Remington Steele, and so they brought him on. I don't know if that's what Brent was talking about. Maybe it was. Uh, yeah. So the six-year gap between License to Kill and Goldeneye made a lot of people lose faith in, in that the series would continue. Um, and considering how much the world... Had, this is real interesting, actually. I never thought about this. Considering how much the world had changed politically between 1989 and 1995 with the fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, the dissolution of the Soviet Union, and the end of the Cold War, some in the film industry felt it would be futile for the Bond series to make a comeback at all and that it was best left as an icon of the past. Yeah. Um, they were uh, right. and, yeah yeah <laughs> no they weren't um well they were in a sense because the the producers who at this time was like barbara broccoli so albert broccoli's daughter um they they were they like were considering new concepts for the series by this point a lot of the stuff you still hear bandied around today as daniel craig comes to the end of his run as the character um people saying things like a period piece set in the 1960s a female 007 a black james bond radical ideas richard (laughs) (laughs) uh but but they uh, decided ultimately that they should return to the basics of the series which is seems like i don't know why you'd need to reach that decision it seems like it's just ignoring the other opportunities yeah it's it's <laughs> one of those things it's like inaction is not like a choice yeah. it's just like yeah yeah um so delton was actually coaxed into returning delton. in 1993 um you're laughing at coaxed you don't like no it? no f- uh, delton dalton dalton P- timothy dalton Timothy Dalton was coaxed into returning in 1993, but jumped ship after not being able to commit to more than one other movie. He was like, nah, I don't want to do a a fourth one. I only want to do a third one. And uh, Albert Broccoli, who at the time was serving as um, a... (laughs) Who at the time was alive. He was was alive. He was serving as as a role called a presenter in the credits apparently of goldeneye um he really he was like if you're coming back after a six-year break to continue playing bond you've got to play him in more than one movie and he was like nah i only i don't want to do anymore um so he he jumped ship and albert broccoli's company which i only just found out through this research his company's name was dan jacques it looks like an like an indian word uh like d-a-n-j-a-q d-a-n-j-a-q dan jacques um, Interesting. So th- his company was what the lawsuit was about because Dan Juck, uh sued MGM for the rights, um, and he, so but he oversaw Goldeneye during this time. He died in 1996, so a year after the release of Goldeneye. That ought to show him, eh? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the several several of the key creative team had already passed on by this point too as we talked about with license to kill um and desmond llewellyn who had played the role of q since the connery era he passed away after the world is not enough brosnan's fourth film meaning that the brosnan era actually represents like a pretty tangible transition like a a changing of hands you know in, in the franchise's long history 
as it's like inherited by the next generation. And as um as stuffy and 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 angry as like boomers get when when people our age proudly proclaim that Casino Royale is the best James Bond movie. <laughs> I mean, it, it, when you look at it like this, it kind of makes a bit more sense that it's like it's it's the passing on of some very old men you know and and what they considered good storytelling to a new generation and by new i mean um two years after i was born but it's still you know these are the people who still control it now and it's like i don't know i think i think that that makes it make a little more sense when you say that bond movies are better now than they were because it's like yeah i mean loads of movies are better now than other movies from the 60s so why would (laughs) bond be any different um i'm just trying to find what brent could have been talking about when he said oh that the way he was cast is crazy um and so apparently um brosnan first met broccoli not the vegetable Mm -hmm. the man um thank you on the set of for your eyes only because his first wife was in that film um and then apparently broccoli was like fuck if he's if he can act he's the guy to replace Roger Moore. Um, and then um, Remington Steel got cancelled and he was offered the role of James Bond. But because everyone's like, fuck, this guy's going to play Bond. I better watch Remington Steel. It got so popular they renewed it. Yeah, we talked about that last week. Yeah, yeah. And then so he like couldn't do Bond because he had to do that. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I guess that's it. Nice. This is pretty All fun. right, well. 1995, Richard, GoldenEye, directed by Martin Campbell. First first time Martin Campbell, uh, but not the last time he directed a film for the series. Um, we, You know this and I know this, but he's a Kiwi director, mm. um, which makes me feel like during this time of isolation, anyone know how to reach out to Martin Campbell? Fuck. Let's have a chat with him. I, I bet you we can get a hold of, I bet you it wouldn't even be that hard. We just <laughs> gotta figure out how to contact him. Um he He's uh, based in the UK these days. Is he? Okay. Yeah. Maybe it might be a bit more difficult then. Uh Brosnan later described uh Martin Campbell as warrior like in his take on the piece and that there was a huge passion there on both of our parts. So that's pretty cool. That's cool, yeah. What do you think Goldeneye has on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, I'd have to think this is pretty high, like I'd guess like eighty six. It's only got seventy eight percent um which is a bit of a slap in the face when the likes of dr no is in it in the 90s and stuff and again i think it's like the critics who review bond films are like bond purists i think Mm. and so like no one scores as high as sean connery's bond even though he's inextricably the worst (laughs) one the worst one (laughs) um i think that goldeneye at this time in the series, is like easily the best one. Hundred percent, yeah. Golden Eyes, easily. My, uh, up until like this point, the films we've watched for the podcast, Golden Eyes, yeah. my favorite. Absolutely. Uh, but what is for those who haven't seen it? What is Golden Eye about? Uh, so Golden Eye um, features uh, James Bond and Alec mm. Trevelyan, yep. um, who is Agent 006. Um, played by Sean Bean. Sean Bean, who and he got he was in this because he turned down or lost the role earlier, right? I th- I think he was considered at some point. Yeah, he was considered. Later, he probably yeah. did a screen test, and they were like, "Oh, we'll bring you back." Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's like a flashback to they were on a mission together, and Alec is killed, um, seemingly killed, I should say. <laughs> and then, so years later, in 1995, um, there's this big 
uh, EMP device called Goldeneye, and mm. then it turns out that it's Alec Trevelyan 006 uh, is behind the whole thing, and he actually faked his own death and is mm. now a bad guy. Um, and then his plan involves um, stealing money from the Bank of England and then erasing the financial records with Goldeneye. Yeah, so Goldeneye's a satellite yep. that can shoot a big beam down. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, so this was the first Bond film to not utilize any of Ian Fleming's story ideas, so like completely from scratch, wow. um, and the second film after License to Kill to not use one of Fleming's titles. But Goldeneye does have some significance to Ian Fleming. Do you know what it is? Uh, he had two golden eyes. He had two. No, he only had one. Goldeneye. <laughs> no, uh, Goldeneye is actually the name of Fleming's Jamaican estate, um, which cool. is where when they do like their um, their summits, the Bond producers have their summits where they come up with the next Bond movie. I think they go to Goldeneye for, That's for cool. the, I like the week and stuff like that. Um, but he named the estate after Operation Goldeneye, which was an operation Fleming was part of while working for the British Naval Intelligence as a lieutenant commander, where he liaised with Naval Intelligence, the Naval Intelligence Division to monitor developments in Spain after the Spanish Civil War. Um, a lot of words there, but there you go. Uh, yeah, what did you think of this film? Uh, yeah, I thought this was great. I um, it, 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 it felt like similar to casino royale in a way that it was kind of like uh, i mean casino royale's the the burn the past let it like let it die kill it if mm. you have to kind of um reimagining whereas this is uh almost closer to skyfall in a way S spoilers mm. for next the next episode <laughs> but it's that um forging its own path as well as like having fun little references to things like like the fact that q's still there and and things yeah, like that yeah. um and it does it feels like a classic james bond adventure but at the same time it's it's one of the easiest to follow we've had so far um yep. <laughs> and like having another double o agent play a feature role is like a cool yeah. thing to have it's it's good world building About time yeah, yeah um because yeah like have we actually seen what have we seen in the way of other double? Yeah, yeah, and uh, for uh, there, there have been other examples, yeah. but like at the start of the Living Daylights, the two men who are with yeah. Bond who get killed are both double O agents. Um, so they they have been in the in the series so far, but this is one hundred percent the the most prominent, yeah, the, the the most significant kind of thing, and and it works yeah. as like a form of world building. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of got like it's it's almost like a twist of like um similar to die hard about like uh you know they've got this electromagnetic pulse and you're like oh they mm. can kind of do anything with it but then it's like it's a bank heist is mm. essentially what they're pulling off yeah yeah and so it's like yeah it, it, it like almost like flips the stakes a little bit um, yeah yeah and so like this it's just it's just cool it's full of twists and turns it's well directed it's well written um it's a great first entry for uh pierce brosnan yeah i feel like it takes everything a lot more seriously like mm. the the in comparison to especially compared to connery and Moore, especially Moore, who it's like the mi6 is this fun little game <laughs> where, you know like this is like this kind of quite grounded um post cold war thriller like and in mm. the genuine sense of that you know like it's yeah. it's it's so this movie is so much of it is about the world post cold war which is where the world was at the time and mm. that what a cool 
full integration of real world events into your film because it's 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 basically telling the story of like lost lost little boys you know they don't have they don't know what they're doing anymore that they are they were were bred to to be a fight a certain way and now they're in like this world that is in peace yeah it's the same kind of ideas as in fight club yeah it is it's right yeah, it's yeah, about it is. being disillusioned by what you were kind hmm. of growing up yeah, to yeah. believe um and so i i think this this is the first real serious bond movie um timothy dalton was serious as well but in kind of like a jarring betrays the tone of the series way i'm talking mainly about license to kill then yeah that, that's what kind of what we talked about um last week with him being nobody's bond and about how like mm. the films don't so much fit into a time period and yeah license to kill kind of feels like a test run for golden eye which feels like again like a test run for casino royale yeah exactly um yeah there are so many like examples as you sort of said of killing the past um and mainly in casino royale but there there is a lot of that in um golden eye as well there's a lot of like progressive and subversive story decisions which hint at an evolution it hints that um <laughs> That that the next movie after Goldeneye will actually be a serialized continuation of the story you see here, um, but it, Martin Campbell didn't come back, and mm. Goldeneye's Brosnan's best one, far and away, and I think yeah. that. I th- yeah, and I think that part of the problem with the sequels is that this one um, wants to be wants to be like we're essentially rebooting, we're starting again, and there is there is going to be an ongoing storyline, almost like a TV show. It hints at that, but then the subsequent three films ignore all of these ideas, mm. and they just become your stock standard Bond movie with changed out frills and 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 challenges um and you we wouldn't see anything like this again until martin campbell returned for casino royale it's mm. like he he's like he set it up for them and we're like there you go go hard and then they fucked it up and he was like oh my god now i gotta come back and do it even more intensely and even yeah. more intricately so that you can't just ignore all these things i'm changing now which mm. i don't know if this is true you know what i mean i don't know if martin campbell thought these things or if this was the attitude well that's what we'll scenes. fucking reach out to him yeah, yeah, find yeah. Out. but it, it does just it feels like it feels like someone genuinely trying to make change in a in a series that desperately needs some change yeah, and then it's ignored and then he comes back and does it again so maybe ryan johnson's um star wars trilogy that's been long confirmed but seldom uh has you know news hasn't really come out about it maybe that'll be kind of the the casino royale of star wars movies <laughs> not that i ever want to see a star wars movie ever again um, yeah the rise of skywalker <laughs> yeah star wars is like coronavirus um <laughs> we don't want it to talk sucks about it and let's stop talking about it um <laughs> but uh, let's live with it let's respect it but let's just ignore it for a bit okay we need yeah. to um and after being exposed to it you need to um self-isolate for two weeks <laughs> so uh, and it's funny then that like dc clearly had the same thoughts that you had that were like fuck it like superman returns didn't work let's start a cinematic universe get martin campbell on board do green lantern <laughs> yeah martin campbell has an extremely interesting career of genre defining movies and kind of critical duds but then also like is by no means like a household name like compared yeah. to like 
Sam Mendes directed uh, Skyfall Inspector. It's like that's Sam Mendes. And it's like yeah. Martin Campbell feels like is almost the operates in the same space of like the guns for hire that get picked for Marvel movies and stuff like that, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel mm. you mean. Who did uh, Quantum of Solace? Mark Forster, that's right. I knew that. Yeah, Mark Forster, World War Z. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Christopher Robbins, Mark Forster. No, so I think it's important. We've just said, like, it makes all these exciting story decisions, but we haven't really explained what those are. Um, just take our word for it. Uh, no, so there are some there are some classic qualities of previous Bond films which are present in this film. There's a pretty goofy Q gadget scene which would fit right at home in a Roger Moore film. Um, mm. But other, And other elements are built upon so that the drama is actually quite compelling you know the the conflict between bond and trevelyan uh, trevelyan is like deeply personal and it's it's yeah. like it's like a, a, a um cain and abel kind of thing almost it feels um, lived in yes that's such a great way to put it uh the female characters are like easily the most interesting well, the and well <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we will get to, to get to the sexiness uh, of these films don't don't you worry um they're, they're well they're they're developed well-rounded characters and i know yeah, well i'm trying rounded. to move away no, yeah, no, yeah, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. um the films the film still main, maintains its sex appeal with characters like uh famke famke jansen yeah, yeah. Is that her name? famke jansen's yeah, uh xenia xenia on a top who kills her her male victims by squeezing them to death with her thighs what a way Um, to go the the brosnan films really up the sexiness like these four films are so steamy (laughs) you know what i mean they are like dripping these films and it's it's downright gratuitous compared to the connery days you know like you even get you maybe even get a bit of gyration with xenia on a top's scenes which is i feel like is the um the line in the sand between what you can show regarding sex in a pg-13 movie and what you can show like you can you can show people have had sex but as soon as you see some thrusting or some moaning it's like we got to have a conversation and xenia on a top is very moany and very thrusty (laughs) (laughs) i'm surprised there's never been a bond girl whose name was like thrusty thrusty mcgee or something like that thrusty mcgee (laughs) um so the biggest notable shift in the series especially uh when we're talking about female characters um was the casting of established actress judy dench um as the franchise's first female m so i don't know if we've talked about m on the podcast before m is <laughs> james bond's boss like the head of the mi6 james um boss. james boss very cool uh and so she's played by judy dench now who you wouldn't cast if you didn't want the character to have a more prominent role in the series because yeah. m had previously just been like actors you don't think about yeah before. yeah give give me a gun and your badge kind of <laughs> yeah they're, they're they're glorified plot devices in in every film up until this one you know they're yeah like, they're just they're just bond you have to go do this and he goes all right yeah, exactly. well, off i go um, so she's a lot more prominent than this. However, her role in at least two of the other three subsequent Brosnan films uh, feel very much like a waste of her talent. Like she, it, again, it's like they were like, like Martin Campbell was like, we're going to make M like a central, important character to the to the um, genetic makeup of James Bond as a franchise. And then the, and Tomorrow Never Dies, it's like, she's his boss. 
<laughs> and then <laughs> die, die another day. It's she's his boss, and in the world is not enough. It's like she's his boss, but there is a little bit more. Look, credit where credit is due. There is a bit more. <laughs> <clears throat> um, what yeah? What, what do you think of M as of of Judy Dench's M? I thought she she kicks ass. <laughs> in this yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. So it cool. is. Um, I mean, my first introduction to Bond was that was that Judy Dench was M. You know, mm, yeah, um, yeah. she's my M. Um, she's your M yeah and so this was like it was one of those things that I not not for this podcast but I was surprised to learn that M existed before Judy Dench and that right. it used to be a man you know yeah, um, yeah. because yeah. that character to me seems so intrinsically linked to being an older British woman specifically mm. Judy Dench like it, it's just it's a cool dynamic that you have this like the serial womanizer who answers yeah. to a woman for it well exactly and this is what i'm talking about with golden eye being the the kicking the kicking you know rocking the boat of the established mm. franchise and it's you know a, a barbara broccoli's now in control of the franchise so a woman is now leading this mm. so quite literally it's a womanizer answering to a woman <laughs> yeah. um if, if barbara broccoli is the god of the james bond universe um and there's a there's a scene in golden eye where we first meet M that is like the um let the past die line of dialogue in golden eye that like people were like holy shit she's speaking to the audience where um you first meet Judy Dench's M and and um uh she she tells Bond, she's like, I know you don't like me. I don't like you. And she tells him that she considers him a sexist misogynist dinosaur and a relic of the Cold War. Yeah. Fuck, that's a good line. It's yeah. so cool. It's like imagine imagine being like one of the like old men that really love the how like gross the old James yeah. Bond movies. Sean Connery then, watches this film. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's like, like, What the fuck is going on? <laughs> and then he just like hits um, the woman next to him. <laughs> I I hesitated saying fuck before just because um I should mention this. I am gonna be guest starring on a podcast that is coming out on Wednesday called Kaiju Weekly. Um, quick plug for it now uh, and i was not allowed to swear on it so i hesitated oh, really? saying saying fuck because well he didn't say he was like oh it's a it's a pg show and i was like sweet i'll i won't swear. you're like yeah fuck you dude yeah fuck you dude um so go check that out it's me and a guy named travis from mississippi talking about attack of the killer tomatoes it comes out on april fool's day um but it is real <laughs> the, april, the april fool's joke is that he made me watch the movie um so uh, I, yeah, I love the dynamic between M, Judy Dench, and Pierce Brosnan, and, and M and James Bond. Yeah. But again, it feels like this is forgotten in, in the sequels for the more tra- traditional dynamic. And we wouldn't really see M utilized as well as this until Skyfall. Like maybe Casino Royale. Mm. Um, Brosnan in general certainly centralizes her a lot more, but like M is the Bond girl in Skyfall, essentially, if you yeah. want to use you know appropriate that term for feminism <laughs> aj just did a black power salute <laughs> it was a solidarity symbol I didn't <laughs> uh yeah but as i said the fact that we're talking about him for what feels like the first time in the james bond podcast series is a testament it's because we're a awesome. couple of feminists dude we don't we Look, only talk about characters a couple of cool women. cats uh so contemporary critics responded really well to the film with almost everyone feeling like brosnan was a better bond than dalton um one 
one who felt more modern and mature and ha- but had lost his innocence. So. Oh. Oh, that's sad. Do you have any more thoughts on Goldeneye? Uh no, nah, just that like this would be an acceptable place to pick up the franchise if you were yeah. watching for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah, do not watch the other ones at all. Um <laughs> Yeah, I know. I really like this movie. I really like the characters. The um, the actual Bond girl who isn't Xenia on a top. I can't remember her name, um, because because her name isn't like a sexy pun, so I didn't, I didn't <laughs> commit it to memory. Um, she's like her her story is is introduced in an interesting way, and she's an interesting character. Um, Alan Cumming is in this film. He's been a previous. That's MVP right. Oh my gosh. Before. Yeah. Can we talk about he, that for a second? He plays Boris. What a waste of Alan Cumming. Like. Alan you don't Cumming, seem to think he's terrible. I think he's fine. It? Alan Cumming appearing in a Bond film is like, oh, fuck yeah, awesome. And then he's playing this, like, German computer he's hacker. Ru- he's Russian. Whatever. <laughs> it's set in Russia. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. Um, uh, yeah, and he's like, and it's just like, oh, okay, we just get Alan Cumming and, like, a fourth tier character in this film playing, doing a silly accent. There are so many characters in this film, though, and and it it, it feels like quite a mo- mosaic of mm. of plot, you know. It's a cool. tessellation. Yeah. Um. All right. Tomorrow never dies. Or does yeah, it? it? Does. Oh. Nineteen ninety-seven, directed by this is a fun name, Robert Spotterswood. Where is it? Do you it? know that? Where is it gone? <laughs> I think I did uh, notice that there were new credits, and it made me giggle. And before you ask, yes, it is the same Robert Spotterswood who directed Turner and Hooch and Stop or My Mum Will Shoot. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, what do you think this has on Ron Tomatoes? Uh, what did the last one have? 78? 78. Uh, 72. It's got 57. Quite a, a dramatic drop, but I think this is a 57% movie. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's a that's an adequate like how good is it out of a hundred? It's fifty seven. It's better than half. You know, it's better. Than yeah, 57. yeah. I guess going off like half being good, but like when you get to like well, using Rotten Tomatoes thing being below fresh. Yeah, I feel like is. it's yeah, I feel like it's just below fresh. Yeah. Um, what is this movie about? <sighs> Ugh, sorry, just yawning because you were boring the shit out of me. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> um, so um, there's like a a British warship sinks in mm-hmm. in China, and Bond mm-hmm. set to investigate it. Um, and then he meets up with um. Oh, so there's this like media mogul who's Jonathan Price. Elliot Carver. Elliot Carver. Yep. Um, and his like current squeeze is a former flame of James Bond's. Mm. Um, and so she's one of the Bond girls. She's the one that dies. Um, yeah. Cause one always dies. Uh, but then he encounters a Chinese agent called Wei Lin. Uh, mm-hmm. And they team up to um, take down Carver. Yeah. So Carver's plan, he's yeah. got a newspaper called tomorrow. Um, and, the kind of main thrusty McGee of the <laughs> of the villain's plot is that he uh, is 
creating the news so that he'll have the first exclusive story so he sinks ships in the ocean so that he can be the first to have a story about the ship sinking yeah. um and he's he's very rich there's a, a he's he reminded me of dr doofenshmirtz from <laughs> phineas and ferb like so uh, okay well he's 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 elliot carver feels a lot more cartoony than the rest of the movie and there's a scene right yeah. at the start where he talks about um He's like, get the president on the phone and tell him that if he doesn't do what we say, we'll release a video of him with a cheerleader. And then after he does what we say, release it anyway. And it's like, okay, this feels like something Dr. Evil would say. It's a very <laughs> 1997 bad guy. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, so what did you think of this, of Tomorrow Never Dies? Uh, well, yeah, Tomorrow Never Dies is interesting because it is like, uh, like the bad guy's plan is, is so cartoony, uh, but... And the film does have some really good stuff in it, mm, but I on agree. the whole, it's closer to the kind of, uh, you know, you're, you're more like when Moore and Connery got to the end of their run, middle slash end of their run, how they were churning out very middling kind of films. It's mm. one of those, but with some good stuff in it. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I used to remember this film as the okay-ish film of the Brosnan era. Um, I think it has somewhat grown on me. I think I was maybe a little too harsh on it. The action sequences are just real top-notch, but the story's like whatever. Um, and I think there's such an attempt with this movie to be something different, and yet it becomes one of the most stock-standard yeah. James Bond movies of all. Um, like, there's no rogue agent or villain from Bond's past. It's just him doing a mission. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's the Mission Impossible 2 of... Uh... Well, it's not, but thank you for <laughs> planting the seed early for us to talk about that. Um, part of me wants to say that the villain's diabolical plot, um, Elliot Carver's plot to control the media, feels kind of off-brand for a Bond movie. Like, the, these movies usually cycle between topics like nuclear bombs and double agents and the war. <laughs> the, and, this film being set between a double agent film and a nuclear bomb film. Yeah, and this is about the, the, the media. The news? The news? There's, not, there's no other James Bond movies that are about this. Um, and it's not serious, necessarily a bad thing. It just feels like... Do you ever watch The Wire? Uh, not really. The last season of The Wire is about them... Um, faking a serial killer so that the media picks it up and they get more resource within the police force to fight crime by faking a serial killer. Like they they find crime scenes and set it up to look like the, like there's a, an mo and stuff. Um, but not the rest of the the wire is so grounded and isn't theatrical yeah. at all. And so it kind of feels like that to me, like this this idea. And it's also about newspapers. Maybe that's why. I did from um. <laughs> I don't know. Do you do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't. There's no other James Bond films that are about something like this. Yeah, I guess I I got more out of it because like working in the news, like you know, I work mm. for people like Elliot Carver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. Well, actually. in a way, the, this film, this film is like weirdly prescient. Like it's essentially about the detrimental effects of fake news, right? Yeah. In 1997, like in a in a way that is um that is uh you know blown out to be way more melodramatic because he's creating the news but it's it's fake news and Elliot Carver is like a Steve Jobs Robert Murdoch R Rupert Murdoch kind of mm. villain yeah. um he's very Steve Steve Jobs Ian yeah, and St was Steve Jobs a presence in 1997 yep yeah okay 
Not as much as he was in like 2005, though. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, like Elliot Carver has like the black turtleneck and the like the the profile sh- front on profile shot and stuff. And I feel like Steve Jobs wasn't that like people knew who he was, but he wasn't that kind of symbol he was still that we think of. Pretty well about. known. Okay. All right. Uh, I don't know if this will make I sense. I did Richard. sit down and make you watch Steve Jobs the movie. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah, that's what I was that. basing this off. As I didn't think. 1997 was that um anyway i don't know if this will make sense richard but tomorrow never dies is such a playstation one movie do i need to explain more or do you know exactly what i mean uh let's just move on (laughs) i don't want to talk about it uh yeah no it feels it feels like it's made for the ps1 movie adaptation because there was one on ps1 yeah yeah, yeah. like there's there's long gray hallways like the the the, the movie is essentially like a bunch of set pieces strung together Mm. in fun locations with sort of a plot at the start and a plot at the end um you know what I mean? It feels it feels like it's made so that the PlayStation One adaptation of it is going to be a good time. You know, yeah, it, and it's, it's like, not going to be. Do, do you know is the PlayStation One game a good time? Uh, apparently, it is not. But I can <laughs> visualize it. I can see what it would look like. Um, I feel like gray is the easiest color to render on a PlayStation One for some reason. I mean, and like is. the 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 um, climax of Tomorrow Never Dies takes place on a on the stealth ship, and it's it's everything's metal everything's dark and dingy and gray um and i think this is kind of indicative of where we are in time on when in 1997 when tomorrow never dies came out because and we talked about this on our mission impossible series where like each mission impossible film kind of feels extremely indicative of the time period it came out in um which is why mission impossible 2 is the only bad one because it came out in 2000 when no fucking movies were good right? like, like they were they were all um they're all the same sort of thing tomorrow never dies uh and all four of Brosnan's films feel so specific to the year they came out in, which is a much smaller frame of time than um, than Mission yeah. Impossible as a series. But Tomorrow Never Dies uh, feels like the spiritual interim between Mission Impossible 1 and 2. Like it has the espionage <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of uh, confidence of, of Mission Impossible, but it does feel like we're creeping up on that infamous turn of the millennium futurist cheese that dated every release between like... 1999 and 2003 except for the matrix um (laughs) the matrix is like the one beacon of light in this time period for action movies um like and you know by by 2000 and we'll see it in uh die another day everything's shiny and chrome right everything (laughs) everything is like futuristic it's got this color color palette and tomorrow never dies isn't shiny and chrome but it is metallic gray so uh other so so any more thoughts on that i've got a new little new little section here that that could be fun to talk it's sort of talking about titles but not as much well i'm just so randy for this new section i just want to hear what Uh, it is okay so uh one of the things that's really cool about tracking the james bond movie titles is seeing what they do when they run out of books right and and well they didn't even run out of books technically but just the way that there's a there's history to every title for it and so one of the potential titles for tomorrow never dies was tomorrow never lies Mm. uh, referring to the newspaper which ironically does lie um this was faxed to mgm but through an error it became tomorrow never dies 
which uh, MGM found so attractive they insisted on using it. Uh, and this was the first title to not have any relation to Fleming's life or work or James Bond as a as a you know. Yeah, I kind of like Tomorrow Never Lies because it could be like it'd be something you know the villain says. I think he does say it. I think he yeah. says, or it's written on one of it's, the newspapers it's somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Because um, also, there's like um, Pulp did a theme song for the film um, that wasn't used, and it's like they released right. it later, and it's called Tomorrow Never Lies. Right. Nice. Um, so the role of Elliot Carver was initially offered to Anthony Hopkins because, of course, it was. It's yeah, like yeah, but they gave it clearly... to his Pope friend. <laughs> um, he declined in favour of The Mask of Zorro. And guess who directed The Mask of Zorro? Martin Campbell. Martin Campbell. <laughs> it all comes back. Yeah. One way or another, Martin Campbell um, detracts from the Bond movies he's not working on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any more thoughts on Tomorrow Never Dies? Um yeah, who uh, do you want to just talk about who does play the um <laughs> the villain? Jonathan Price. Because it's not Malcolm McDowell. I thought it was Malcolm McDowell for years, and I told you Malcolm McDowell plays the the Bond villain. Because you were you were talking to me. What were you talking to me about? You're talking to me about how you think it's stupid that we put so much emphasis on who plays a Bond. Villain. Yeah, yeah. Um and. You were like, there's such. What did you say? You're like, well, such I said like, very- like you know, people go, oh, they'd make such a perfect Bond villain, but it's like, uh, Bond villains aren't really like that big a deal. Like, there's only in across twenty five films, um, there's only like a handful of actors or memorable villains. I think. To be I fair, I think they're all like, trying to be. Yeah, Sean Bean <laughs> and Jonathan Price do it quite well. Mm. Um. And I think, yeah, I don't, maybe it is just, like, a thing of, like, these actors are coming from t- um, time periods that I'm aware of. Like, you know, maybe mm. Mo- uh, Drax and Moonraker was the biggest star yeah. in the world at the time. But mm. um, Yeah. yeah and so after, after you told me this, I was like, Malcolm McDowell's and, and Tomorrow Never Dies. And you're like, oh, he'd be great. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I was like, he'd make a perfect bubble. <laughs> um, but he's actually not in it. It's just Jonathan Price who looks like... Like, there is a soup that if you change different ingredients, you either get Anthony Hopkins, Malcolm McDowell, or Jonathan Price, depending how much of one specific ingredient you yeah. add to the soup. <laughs> it's like yeah. the, um, that that thing you see of, like, cookies. And it's like a tray of cookies, and they all have something wrong with them, and it tells you. Mm. So Malcolm McDowell, <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, and Jonathan Price all have something wrong with them. Um <laughs> And then somewhere out there, there's a perfect version of that actor. Mm. And his yeah. name is Terrence Stamp. <laughs> Who's that? Do you know who Terrence Stamp is? I'll look him up. Um, he's in um, uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I'm looking him up. I'm looking him up. Oh my God, is that a different guy? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I thought that was one of the three men we were just talking about. <laughs> that is crazy. This is blowing my mind. I'm glad I was able to come up with that that quickly. What's he what else is he in? He's in plenty of things. My goodness. I thought he was just Jonathan Price or Malcolm <laughs> McDowell. My goodness. Wow. Wow. Okay. Before we move on to Tomorrow Never Dies, I do just want to briefly return to how sexy these movies are and say that um, Terry Hatcher, 
who plays uh the the girlfriend of Elliot Carver and ex-girlfriend of Bond who gets killed halfway through the movie um is very sexy in this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh cool. More power to her. She later said she regretted playing the role because it was wasn't she you couldn't get a lot out of it, apparently. You couldn't what? You can it's like it's a thankless role or no it's not so much thankless as it is like she didn't think the character was particularly interesting or special right and yeah so that's a shame ah. <laughs> all right so let's move on uh tastefully i was trying to think of a cool way to move on let's yeah. move on briskly but with class you know to um the world is not enough which came out in 1999, directed by Michael Apted. And do you know what else he directed? Uh, yeah, he's the documentarian that made the Up series. What the hell, right? Yeah. What, what a strange director to choose. Uh, he was not the first choice, though, because apparently Joe Dante and Peter Jackson were both considered. And I feel like one of our most often repeated pieces of trivia in film franchise Fortnites is that Joe Dante or Peter Jackson nearly directed a film <laughs> in this franchise. Like, I feel like with this has happened so many times. It's always those two. It's yeah. always Joe Dante Joe or Joe Dante Peter is Jackson. Gremlins, right? Yeah. Yeah, Gremlins yeah. and um, Looney Tunes back in action. <laughs> <laughs> and Gremlins too. And Peter Jackson is um, The Hobbit. The Battle of the Five Armies. <laughs> and um, and the Lovely Bones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, apparently Peter Jackson was like, he they ended up not going with him and he was just about to direct Lord of the Rings. And he was like, well, Bond films usually hire smaller directors. So I guess I'm never directing a Bond film now. <laughs> what a tick. <laughs> uh, what uh, do you think this has on Ron Tomatoes? 46. It's 52, which I think is too high. Yeah. I think this is lower than 52. Uh, But what is it about? Uh, So this one is about uh, Dr. Christmas Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, so this is, uh, there's like uh, a friend of M's is um, Mm -hmm. killed. Uh, Sir Robert King booby trapped money and mm-hmm. um then yeah it's this whole thing with like weapons grade plutonium and they meet uh this nuclear scientist nuclear physicist Christmas Jones which is th- th- this this is the thing of this movie this is the movie where Denise Richards plays a nuclear physicist called Christmas Jones uh which is not a real first name it's brought up once uh, so that yes. at the end they can have sex and he can say, I thought Christmas only comes once a year. Well, he he doesn't just say that. He he um the, the, he says, first he says, I've always wanted to have Christmas in Turkey because they're in Turkey. Yeah. And then not five minutes of screen time later, he says, uh, I heard Christmas only comes once a year. But they, like they establish her name as Christmas maybe at the start of the like thir- first, the second third of the film. Um, and then they never mention it again. It's just and they pile on two double entendres <laughs> in a row, um, so that they can say say her name. You know, so it's clearly they were like, "What would be a good name for a Bond film?" And then someone heard "Christmas Only Comes Once a Year" and they had a dirty mind and was like, "Ah, oh, I know what we should name her." 
Like, it's so abundantly clear that that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this film, uh, it revolves around, uh, yeah, as you said, the assassination of Sir Rod- Robert King um, by Renard, who's a terrorist who cannot feel. He got shot in the head and can no longer feel. Um, and Which is Bond a classic is- Bond villain kind of quirk. Mm, yeah, yeah. A bond is assigned to protect uh, Robert King's daughter Electra, um, who had been previously held for ransom by Renard. But during and his assignment, who, uh, my Alexa, which I keep next to the TV, thought uh, was named Alexa. <laughs> nice. Um, during his assignment, Bond unravels a scheme to increase petroleum prices by triggering a nuclear meltdown in the waters of Istanbul. Uh, yeah, Electra turns out to be a villain. Um, dr christmas jones is the good guy um so what did you think of the film overall okay so uh this is clearly a another like uh if if goldeneye is jurassic park um then tomorrow never dies is jurassic park 2 and the world is not enough is very much jurassic park 3 Um, (laughs) that's such a great way to put it (laughs) um and then die another day as Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. We're, we're skipping Jurassic yeah. World. But um, <laughs> what I... I actually had a reasonably positive experience with this film because for some reason, up until putting this film on, I thought Pierce Brosnan did five films. And mm-hmm. so I was like, oh, fuck. Because oh, I, I had like two days of work in the middle of being locked down. And I was like, okay, I'll... I won't watch it on a work day, so I have to put it on now so that I have two days to watch his other two films after blah, 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 you know, working my whole schedule around. So I was like, I'll put it on now. And I was like, wait a minute. There's, then there's Die Another Day. And then Sarah, I was like, did he only do four? And I like went and Googled it. And I was like, Pierce Brosnan, most known for playing James Bond in four films. And I was like, my God. So the this whole time, <laughs> my entire life, I thought he did five films. And because yeah. I thought um, that... Um, you know, we've got a Bond that did it for one film, one that did it for two films. Uh, we don't have one that did it for three. But then um, I was like, cool, Craig can be four because Brosnan was five. And then we've got six and seven uh, from Connery and Moore. But we don't. Yeah. We don't. No. Um, it's it's So it is, we are just missing three. And, yeah. and counting up to seven, we're only missing the number three, which the next Bond can do. Yeah, but because even when Spectre was going to be... Um, craig's last film i thought oh cool then you know uh he'll have he'll be four brosnan will be five um and then this whole time i thought he's ruined the pattern by doing the same amount as brosnan and like i've in this podcast i've looked at a list of the every bond film so many times and i've seen that he only did four i knew the names of them and but like like if someone had said how many bond films did brosnan do i would have said five and they said okay what are they called and i would have named four and realized it but that never <laughs> happened um and so i was i was stoked to realize i only had two more films i thought this whole time oh, I right. three um right and so i said okay so you were stoked that you didn't have to do the work that, yeah. that you thought you had to do you weren't stoked because you realized this fun little idiosyncrasy still remained intact <laughs> no 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 i was putting the film on i was like because i was like oh, fuck i still got two movies after this and i was like wait a minute no i don't um and so yeah i, re- I rode that high um for a for a wee while during the film because uh, it, it does kind of like it's it's very much like in two halves and like because because christmas jones isn't introduced until like i think over an hour into the film um mm-hmm. and that's when it kind of 
goes another way but again it's like this just has less good stuff in it than tomorrow never dies but it's of the same quality like mm. this if you take mm. away the good stuff from tomorrow never dies these two films would be pretty similar yeah i think this movie has some good lines of dialogue and that's about the nicest thing i can say about like the christmas it. Like coming the, thing yeah yeah exactly the, like the action scenes aren't very good um but th- there's a title bomb in this film they say the name of the movie in the in the movie uh and it's it's world class richard it's yeah. one of the best title bombs there are because it happens when uh electra is has like taken bond hostage and she's like oh you're such a fool you could join me da 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 and she's like i could have given you the world james and he's sort of like he's not looking at her in the eyes he's like looking off camera down the floor he's looking he's directly almost- at the camera and he said there wouldn't be enough <laughs> no, he's he he's sort of like he goes the world is not enough but he says it like he's recalling it you know it's not like he's just responding to it. he's he says it like he's like well that's right the world is not enough and she goes foolish sentiment and he goes family motto and it's almost like he's been actually it's my family motto which it is because we saw on the bond family crest and yeah. on her majesty's secret service that the bond family motto is the world is not enough um it's so it's such a good it's such a good title bomb uh but the best line is when he kills electra and she goes you wouldn't kill me james you'd miss me and then he shoots her and he says the line in the script is i never miss right and that's what he says so it's not just in the script it is in the the text as well um but the thing is is that you can tell when he says i never miss that they would have done 20 takes and 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 fucking michael apted would have been like all right do it this way do it this way do it this way do it this way try out a few different deliveries right because you can so imagine there would be like a sean connery-esque you'd miss me i never miss kind of thing in there you know like that's what you'd almost expect from Mm. this uh this pierce brosnan delivery of the character but the way he delivers the line is so you you say electra's line and i'll do the gunshot and Uh, try replicate it you don't kill me you'll you'll miss me i never miss and it's, it's it's like they don't go with the like ludicrous over the top one and they don't go with like this emotionless one they go with the like most powerful <laughs> performance in the film like they, they go with like hey um if if you were to extrapolate the way you deliver this line to the rest of your performance you'd probably win an oscar do it that way and it's, <laughs> it's like it just feels you know what i mean it's such an earnest and solemn delivery that for a second you go oh him and electra were so close before you remember that she's just one and drop in the bucket of woman that he sleeps with in these movies it's like um you were the chosen one from yeah the movie i'm I just gonna not. quickly rewatch the scene so i can join in praising it with <laughs> do you, you not remember <laughs> uh, i don't i don't think i took as much notice of the performance as you did oh i thought you would have loved it but i mean we talked recently about how how i i really love like certain line deliveries yeah, yeah. And it's just it's on paper it's already like a, a fun line. But his his the way he delivers it is like so sad. It's got such a sadness to it. Um that is not at <laughs> like, all just watching it. Like I I was doing a split screen just then of like you talking about it and at the scene. And I like it's fine. No? Okay. Maybe I'm just harping on about nothing. 
Oh, no, it's pretty good. Like, I'm watching it in very low quality, <laughs> and you can't really see his eyes. He just has, like, two gigantic pixels where his eyes are supposed to be. But I imagine, like, if I squint a little bit, I'm like, there is sadness there. It's it's it, there's, it's a good it's a good line delivery from old old Piercey Bros Brozzy Pierce. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's the nicest thing I can say about this film. the The worst thing I could say about this film, as you briefly touched on, Richard, is Denise Richards, who plays Christmas jo- Christmas Jones, is fucking terrible in this movie i whenever i see this movie i am staggered by how bad of a performance she gives it's wooden it's like because she's not really an actress she's a she's a a supermodel right so Mm. it's like it's it's quite a like attempt at a complicated role given to someone who you know and it's not even necessarily her fault she's just not really an actress um yeah and it makes it feel like you're watching a porno because you've got this yeah. supermodel who can't act playing a nuclear physicist and you know it's like you're watching Named a porno Christmas. about <laughs> yeah you're watching a porno about a nuclear physicist and it's like all these like sexy female doctors and professors were walking around yeah um it's funny oh. that like she she uh, ruined one of the most prestigious franchises we've covered um but she also um saved one of the worst franchises we've covered um because i don't know if you remember this but she oh plays eugene levy's wife in uh medea's witness protection no shit wow <laughs> um and what another role we haven't covered this on the podcast but she's the um she's essentially the bond girl and undercover brother yeah and in that she she does the line that's like falling in love with you wasn't part of the plan. Was Undercover Brother after the world yeah, well, was two thousand two? That's you shouldn't be allowed to do that. Like <laughs> a, a producer should have stopped that bit. Be like, if you do this, you are going to ruin <laughs> like like how people see your role in the world is not enough. Um, it's it's like when a when a Marvel actor gets a main role in a DC film. Yeah. It's like there's there no nothing in place that stops this from happening. Um, so Richards was widely criticised for not being credible in the role of a nuclear scientist. Variety called her the least plausible nuclear physicist in the history of movies. <laughs> uh, Nathan Rabin, I think is a critic, panned her performance and called it so laughably awful that the film comes to a dead stop whenever she's on screen and she was ranked as one of the worst Bond girls of all time by Entertainment Weekly in 2008. Yeah, her terribleness... Um Ex, you know um transcends the film. Oh, oh transcends the film right yeah yeah uh, like like I, I, without having ever seen a bond movie you might know that there's this actress called denise richards uh, yes who plays a bond girl in one of the film and she's a nuclear physicist and they make a joke about coming using yeah. her name the best actually the best christmas jones joke is she goes my name's dr christmas jones i've heard all the jokes and he goes I don't know any doctor jokes. That's cl- that's a classy flirt. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that's yeah. a that's a good line. Because would, would this have been after Doctor Jones by Aqua came out? It must have been. No, right? I, this is yeah, absolutely after it. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Jones permeated my childhood when I was <laughs> like four years old. Everyone was singing. It was that two years me. after Doctor Jones. Right there, you go. My surname is Jones. For those who don't realize, what a good fucking <laughs> song, though. Uh yeah. So Robert Carlyle is also in this film, 
and he's arguably the main villain. I feel like Elektra probably has more screen time yeah. than him, but he's like the last one left standing. I think Robert Carlyle's a great actor, but he just sucks in this. He's it's such an it's such a it's like they remove the essence of the actor from this character and he just keeps mentioning about how he's already dead and it just makes him <laughs> seem like such an edgelord like he's like you forgot i'm already dead and it's like you said this already <laughs> it's like someone said that to him once and he's like that's cool i'm gonna say that all the time now um my favorite scene in this film richard is the last time we see desmond Llewellyn as q before the actor's death yeah man um he he gives Bond his <laughs> well, gadgets. Well, I'm off to go die. <laughs> yeah, sort of, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. He gives Bond his gadgets. We meet John Cleese, who appears in the next film as the new Q, and um, and Bond says to him, "You're not retiring anytime soon, are you, Q?" And he says, "If there's two things I've always taught you, 007, it's what is he? What's the first thing?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He says something real poignant. <laughs> And then he like gets on an and always have an escape plan as a second line. Yeah. And then he he like slowly lowers out of frame and on an elevator. And it's like they knew he was gonna die. Yeah. Like I'm presuming he had died by that point in the in real life by the release of the film, so they could film it and edit it in a way that was tasteful, like a nice send off. But well, it's very it's it's. Well, do you know about Des- Desmond Llewellyn's death? No, because it's like real fucking old dude has been in like uh you know since the 60s he's been in these films um but um he actually died shortly after the world is not enough premiered so oh. um but he was killed in a car accident he was what killed in a car fuck? accident not of old age oh oh that's yeah. so much sadder so maybe the actor was just no, just knew he was going to retire um according to the wikipedia page it says he was not officially retiring from the role he was training his eventual replacement though in the film his eventual replacement being John Cleese. What? Wow! So it has, it has kind of this unintentional yeah. poignancy to it. Then that's creepy, man. Yeah, that's creepy. That's so sad that he died in a car accident. Yeah, that's oh, crazy. He's, yeah. he's been, he was he's been so great. He's been like the only constant, and it's a good constant to have throughout the whole series. Yeah, oh, that's such a. And bummer. when I say um, shortly after, it's like three weeks after the movie wow. premiered. Yeah. Wow. I got my facts wrong. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's move away from tragic death corner, um, which is a corner I hate being in, frankly. I don't know <laughs> about you. Uh, and let's return to sexy corner, Richard, which is the new <laughs> problematic corner. We're not calling it problematic corner anymore because the Brosnan films are just horny as hell and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, everyone's consenting. It's fine. Everyone's get, like these these age difference issues, which, you know, your mileage may vary on how problematic that is. Um, my personal mileage is, if, is that if she's underage, it's <laughs> as bad. I'll fucking Yours take might be different. And I mean, just the implied womanizing. And relationship abuse. Just that stuff is problematic. All off screen. Yeah, and the like torture and yeah, No, but yeah. but that stuff's not like the the torture stuff is like The man's just, the victim, so it's funny. No, but it's it's sexy. Yeah, it is. The sexy, torture yeah. stuff. Like this this is nineteen ninety nine, so this is the end of a decade like bloated with influential erotic thrillers, right? Like we've had uh, basic instinct, wild things, also starring Denise Richards, mm. Eyes Wide Shut, um ones like those came out the in fucking, the fucking um, impeachment of George um of Bill Clinton. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a horny decade, yeah. um, and clearly this this awakened the filmmakers. Um, all of all of these films and all these events awakened something within the James Bond filmmakers because the world is not enough. Is like there's like so much like light BDSM and the psychological link between sex and pain. Like uh, Renard can't feel anything, so he can't feel pain, but he also can't feel pleasure. And like Electra, when because she's she's like she like falls in love with him after he kidnapped her and she's like she's like moving an ice cube along her naked body being like surely you can feel this and and, you know like it's ah and And then she when she no (laughs) (laughs) and he she um when she captures bond she puts him in a neck brace with a thing slowly pushing into the back of his neck to break his neck um and it's it's all it's you know it's the um it's the photo you posted on instagram yeah yes um and there's just something very erotic about that scene yeah it's very there are that's the right word erotic the the brosnan films um especially golden eye and the world is not enough are very erotic films um and richard i wanted to ask you what is the sexiest thing about this film uh i, I messaged <laughs> which you. scene gave you a boner <laughs> <laughs> i messaged you during the um the strangulation scene that i was like mm. this is hot yeah it is there, there's like a there's a it a, is <laughs> and it's not that i like um and, and, and you know it's not anything uh to do with any of my personal preferences around being choked or anything like that yeah yeah i'm as mildly into bondage as much as the next guy <laughs> yeah um but it's it's just the like the scene is shot with a, a undercurrent of sexual kind of tension and power energy. dynamics and, yeah, yeah and yeah. it's um and that's hot yeah i agree i agree so Last note on The World Is Not Enough. Initially, the film was to be released in 2000. And guess what the rumoured title was for a 2000? What was every rumoured sequel rumoured? Every every sequel rumoured to be titled in the year 2000? James Bond Revelations. No? Close. You're not far off. Uh, <laughs> the, does, does it have the word revenge in it? No. The rumoured title was Bond 2000. Oh, my God. Because... Everyone thought it was going to be something was going to be called something two thousand, or they were like Godzilla two thousand. Yeah. Um, oh my god! Imagine that. Yeah, that'd suck. What an outlier. Um, <laughs> other rumored titles included "Death Waits for No Man," "Fire and Ice," "Pressure Point," and "Dangerously Yours." "Dangerously Yours" sounds like "Dangerous Liaisons," which is another erotic thriller. A oh, pressure point's cool. Pressure point's cool. Um, I also uh, didn't mention, but you're talking about the serialized, na- like how GoldenEye, you know, tries to set up this kind of serialized thing. Um, but Robbie Coltrane's in this. Hmm. Hagrid yeah. himself is um, reprises Hagrid. his role from GoldenEye. GoldenEye, yeah, and he dies in, in this one. Mm. Very sad, but not a real death, so not actually sad. <laughs> um, I always thought it was funny that Robbie Coltrane is in the Brosnan era, and um. Uh, who plays Gimli? John Rhys Davies. John Rhys Davies is in, um, is in, what is it? The Living Daylights or just the License to Kill? Which yeah. one's he in? Um, and I just always confuse those actors. Nice. Yeah, isn't that what a fun? There was fun anecdote <laughs> for me to struggle to get to. <laughs> that was well worth the effort it took. <laughs> Any more thoughts on the world is not enough? Uh, no, nah, I want to move on to die another day. Well, Die Another Day, Richard, came out in 2002 and was directed by Lee Tamahori, mm-hmm. who's a Kiwi, again, another Kiwi. Yeah. Um, and 
the antithesis of Martin Campbell to the to the Bond franchise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think this has on Ron Tomatoes? The answer will shock you. A hundred. This is 57%, which is higher than The World Is Not Enough and the same as Tomorrow Never Dies. And fuck off, Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> what do you mean, 57%? This is a 19% movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is so bad. What is it about? Before we get ahead of ourselves, uh, what is so, Die Another Day uh, about? The film starts in North Korea, um, where Bond is on a mission, uh, and then he's uh, captured and tortured for over a year um yes. to the tune of madonna um we'll get to it we'll get to it um yeah and, and what is one of the most exciting and intriguing openings to a bond yes. film yet agreed and then things go downhill from there do you want me to just read from wikipedia because like we we both well essentially like- okay the the things that you know about this film um, there's a guy with like diamonds in his face or something. Yes. Um, there's an invisible car. Bond yes. goes windsurfing on a tidal wave while outrunning <laughs> yep. a gun that harnesses the power of the sun to split the um to cut through the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea, um, to try and <laughs> unite them. Um, and the third act takes place where Richard. Uh, in, in like an ice, an enchanted ice palace. <laughs> uh, this was the the this film marked the fortieth anniversary of James Bond, and because of that, Die Another Day includes references to each of the preceding films. Let's Just go like, through all um, of them. What Halloween twenty eighteen did that? Um, what did you think of this film? Uh, okay, this is um, you would not be forgiven. For claiming that this is the worst, you would know. You would be. Forgiven. <laughs> you would not be forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you would be forgiven for saying that this is the worst Bond film. This is the worst Bond film. Please forgive me. And maybe it is, um, but it, <laughs> it's not the least enjoyable Bond film by a long I shot. I want to get to that. I want. I want to get to that. So finish your thought yeah well that's my thought let's do it that's now. your thought okay so yes so we've talked about this a few times um there is a there is a spectrum from minus 10 to 10 when ranking a movie right yeah. and 10 is apocalypse now for example um zero well, is nine yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> zero is the amazing spider-man 2 which is just a nothing movie like a movie i feel nothing i about. i i think there's a better example out there. There's a better example. Bohemian Rhapsody, maybe. Yeah, sure. Yeah, just for the sake of this yeah. um, explanation. Um, and a minus 10 is The Room. So, so bad yeah. it's good, right? And a minus 10 is like level of absurdity, right? And yeah, so it's, it's we've not talked- about like, like it's objectively a bad film, but you're still getting the same enjoyment out of it as you would get out of Apocalypse Now. Yes, but and we 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 found a disagreement together on um I think it was Spider Man three, which I hate because it's boring and and yeah. a bit silly, and you love because well uh, do you love it or do you do you you're fine with it? Uh, I love it. Okay, but but you you love it because of the the dips into absurdity that it has. Yeah, right? uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because at least it's fun to watch. And it's the difference between watching a really boring movie and a so bad it's good movie. But Richard, I think Spider-Man 3 and Die Another Day 
um, create this new tear for me that I can now explain why why I don't like it. <laughs> and it's that it's Die Another Day is really absurd. Like it dips into the absurd dramatically. Yeah. However, the the first. 20 minutes the first time actually i counted it was i looked at my clock it was the first 30 minutes yeah the first 30 minutes of this film are so promising yeah and that's why i hate it so much and it's like spider-man one and two are so good that like the the worst you said the worst thing a movie can do can be boring i think the worst thing a movie can do is make you think it's going to be excellent and then go full like <laughs> stupid bad right that's that's my problem with this uh, movie I get, I get that's why this from. is yeah that's why this is the, this is the worst one to me it, i think this movie fucking sucks and, and it boggles the mind that you can go from golden eye to die another day in only four movies yeah it's four movies you end up at die another day the entire third act in the ice palace looks like a fucking cartoon it's yeah, so it, otherworldly it's the worst thing I've ever seen, Richard. <laughs> it's one of the worst looking things I've ever seen. It, it's like a fever dream. The parasurfing on the Arctic tidal wave is so bad. It, it feels like it gives my eyes cavities. Um, and also Halle Berry is terrible and maybe my second least favourite performance in the franchise next to Denise Richards. Um, I do want to say, though, so uh, we mentioned, yeah, the parasurfing on a like uh, Arctic tidal wave um, that outrunning a, a gun that is like a giant beam that's focusing it's the sun's it's energy. It's GoldenEye 2.0. Yeah, the invisible car, yeah, the diamonds of the face. Every single thing about this film, you can imagine a studio executive in 2001 when it would have been filmed thinking this is a great idea. And that's, oh, of course. And that's a kind of what I love about this film is that like <laughs> it's such a dramatic misfire. Yeah, like everything is so like you can imagine the high fives that would have happened in the production meetings, you know, like mm. <laughs> this film. Um and so yeah, watching every every single misstep this film makes and thinking trying to think of why they thought this was a good idea and something mm. like you look at Doolittle um when uh robert downey jr gives a dragon an enema and you're like why the fuck would- do little's just a mystery yeah do, like do, this, this is do very little's clear. a zero do little's a zero <laughs> yeah. um and it's like why until the ending where it's a minus 10 <laughs> yeah um why would anyone think this is a good idea whereas this is like yeah it's 2002 of course you think this is a good idea um yeah. and if, so i do yeah. love that about it if Tomorrow Never Dies is a PS1 movie, then this is a PS2 movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we're, we're now in full shiny chrome phase of the new millennium. There's lasers in this movie. Yeah. There is a very dramatic overuse of slow motion, and they don't film it at 720 with a higher frame rate, so it's just a stocky, like, frame-to-frame <laughs> slowing down. Um, um, and it desperately wants to be the matrix which as i mentioned before is a film which was so influential yeah. and ruined action films for five um, years. it's funny though because <laughs> continuing on the the playstation theme um casino mm. feels very much like a ps3 game it's a ps3 movie and absolutely. then skyfall's a ps4 game i 100 agree because like casino yeah. royale's got the like take itself so seriously look it's almost photorealistic now even though it's not um and it's like look how fucking like gritty and realistic we can make things and then skyfall's like yeah we can do that but let's have some fun with it yeah i agree um so the way this film starts the opening half hour is so interesting and different 
and as we're talking about before and it hits even harder when it descends into this modern worst james bond movie um like i love that he gets held captive for such a long time it's such a it's 14 months mm. that's ins- what a what a bold decision um the opening sequence we'll talk about the song in a minute but the opening sequence um integrates footage footage of him being tortured in the yeah. north korean pr- prison um which is such a cool idea why why is the why is no other bond movie integrated a scene into yeah. the the opening sequence I, th- I think it's probably my favorite opening sequence out of the whole series like it's such a cool idea yeah um i i love that um what it says about bond's character that he doesn't give any information like fuck mm. you yeah, you know it's it's like yeah man awesome he doesn't he doesn't break at all um and it starts out as grounded and as methodical as goldeneye um and yeah. then he gets saved they trade they trade the main bad guy for him or yeah. one of the henchmen for him and he goes back into the field and he shaves his beard richard yeah and when he shaves his beard it's like a different writer took over <laughs> to complete the film that's it's like that's point, the, yeah. that's when it when it happens because even even the sorry yeah. even the fact that he's shaving his beard to to return to the classier dapper look is yeah. like like it's not just a, a meaningless symbol it's like oh we're just back to normal now like this started yeah. out so interesting and imagine if he just looked like shit for the whole movie Imagine <laughs> this whole film was him escaping a north korean prison camp what a cool idea for a movie that would have been yeah and, and like because even the start like everything that's in north korea is so like desaturated and it's like yeah yeah oh fuck yeah like we're getting like a dark and gritty film even just the way it's colored and then of course it gets to like super saturated and like real shitty cgi makes makes you want to throw up um yeah like we we never we never watch him deal with the trauma of being tortured and and held captive um we don't see it take a toll in fact for a lot of the first act he's like quietly gone rogue but it doesn't even seem like it's that much of a struggle. Like he gets he gets um his double O status rescinded, yeah. but then he just goes goes rogue for twenty minutes, and then M's like, "All right, come back." I'll all right, you. Yeah, all right, come on, bring um, it on. There, there is no better film in the franchise that highlights there is the no struggle film between. In the franchise. You said it. I needed to put a comma there because I knew you were going to say that. Um, <laughs> there is no better example of a film in the franchise that highlights the struggle between remaining true to the roots of the series and trying to be new and different and exciting. And we've seen like this is like a tug of war that I wonder how much on the on the front on the mind of Bond producers it actually is if it's just something that you and I have noticed. But mm. this is a tug of war we've seen between films, right? We Honor oh, Majesty's Secret Service and Diamonds Are Forever did this. Um, Sky fall and the inspector did this mm. for some reason <laughs> directed by the same guy they still tug of war the new stuff for the old stuff yeah. um but i think this is the only time both approaches are shoved next to each other in the same movie um and we go from this gripping life-threatening prisoner of war setup, and then by the end there's an invisible car we're in a fucking winter wonderland that looks like the toy workshop from the santa claus <laughs> or, like, or like a scene from shark boy and lava girl um, like that's the level of CGI it mm. is, like without any exaggeration. Uh, and the main bad guy is a North Korean dictator who has genetically engineered his face to look like a white British dude. What a silly, fanciful idea that is. <laughs> you tell, you show me the first thirty minutes of this film, and then say this is where it goes. It's like oh, I don't believe you. No, <laughs> no, no fucking way it goes there. Uh, and I'd like to return briefly, Richard, to sexy corner, or should I say horny corner, or should I say horner? this film 
is too sexy and i mean that in a bad way like it it lays on (laughs) it lays on the innuendo so thick and it's like oh my god give it a rest please i'm begging you (laughs) to just say something normally please stop talking in innuendo i can't understand what we're supposed to be looking at right now because all you're doing is speaking in innuendo everyone is so horny in this film there's when we first meet just like in real life dude yeah, yeah. When we first meet Jinx, who's Halle Berry's character, him, her and Bond are having like this this horny exchange, and then he tells her that he's um, he's like, I'm just here to look at the birds. I'm an ornithologist, and she glances at his crotch and goes, "Ornithologist, that's quite a mouthful." And it's like, oh my god, you would kill me now. It's ironic, Richard, that this film is called Die Another Day because it makes me want to die immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't have any time. There's no time to die. Em has to warn. So Rosamund Pike is a is a character in this film, and she her acting debut, I believe. Oh, really? Yep. What a debut to then be like a pretty respected actress. Yeah. Also, <laughs> did you know? Um, she revealed in an interview, like uh, around the time of the Me Too movement, that um, when she auditioned for this film, it was her first audition for a major film. Um, she the first thing she was asked to do was strip down her underwear to show them. Wow, that sucks. Which is uh, very in keeping I'm with not, um, the Bond. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not at all surprised. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so M has to warn Rosamund Pike's character, whose name is Frost. Her last name is Frost. I can't yeah. remember her first name. Um, Jack. We, she's going on a mission solo with Bond, and they the the scene's supposed to be like you are as the target audience of a James Bond movie, you're supposed to interpret um, M's conversation with Frost is to be like this like cheeky, like, oh, he's such a rascal. Look, they even have to warn his partners, his, like mission partner about it. But it's like, she's treating him like the John Lasseter of the <laughs> MI6. Yeah. Like he's a bit handsy. We don't let him work with women. Um, you just have to... <laughs> Um, and no. then they still fucking bang and he barely has to convince her. They build her character up to be like, obviously, obviously they're going to bang. Yeah. Like, of course. But they build her up to sound like she's a challenge. And I hate that I'm using these misogynistic rape culture terms, but that's what the movie yeah. is doing. It's not what I'm saying. It's what the movie's doing. It wasn't It wasn't me, Your Honor. It was the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know what I mean? Like, she, it's not a struggle for him to bed her in the end. And I know... Well, because he's a master of seduction exactly but i know that she is the bad guy and that so she probably went to bed with him because she's trying to you know betray them but we don't know that at the time that they hook up and bond doesn't know it and you know maybe there's an interesting idea in, in bond being a character who's so horny and sure of his own um seduction skills that he never questions how this like seemingly unattainable woman immediately gives herself to him uh but that's not in the in the film like that's not part of it he's he's just that good and then turns out she's a bad guy and it's like a two two separate (laughs) things uh last thing on die another day richard roger moore yeah um who played bond in earlier films thank you um wikipedia said about this film i thought it went too far and that's from me the first bond in space invisible cars and dodgy cgi footage please (laughs) i agree roger Moore. i agree (laughs) um i actually um have you got dumb imdb trivia no i'm sorry because i actually it's too much much, can i say something about dumb imdb trivia yeah 
it's too much fucking work for certain franchises. I um like every James Bond film on IMDb has about ten thousand words of trivia. Yeah, I know. and I can't I cannot be bothered. So I actually I, I'm a huge IMDb trivia fan. I, any movie I watch, I will go on IMDb and look at all the trivia. I actually haven't done it for any Bond film up until Die Another Day. <laughs> um, yeah, but I did find a couple of dumb IMDb trivia's that. I thought you might Please be interested share. in. So uh, one is that Die Another Day is the first um, Bond film to not be directed by an Englishman because Lee Tamahori is a New Zealander. Now, not only is that not true, he's not even the first <laughs> New Zealander to uh, direct a film in the franchise. Um because of course mine came was and um i, I just love a screenshot of this um so die another day fun imdb trivia it's the last james bond movie until casino royale 2006 <laughs> no no yes of course it is <laughs> <laughs> everything's the last of something until the next until one until the next thing <laughs> Oh, awful, awful. Like, even even the last of Brosnan's, like, the last time Brosnan played the character is better trivia yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any any final thoughts on Die Another Day specifically before we move on? Uh, the invisible car was cool. No, I disagree. It's not cool, it's stupid. <laughs> but I think we're saying the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay so richard let's talk about brosnan as bond in general um mm-hmm. so aside from being the horniest bond which i don't think there's enough substance in to make a podvid about um we we've been talking we've kind of been putting the um each bond into a category we're giving them superlatives superlatives yes thank you um and we were talking during the week you and i off pod uh, how pierce brosnan is almost the opposite of dalton's nobody's bond right so at first i was like is he everybody's bond is he the quintessential bond but what was the title you came up with? Uh, i called him baby's first bond i think that's great and let me let me <laughs> let me say something and let then... me tell you why you thought of that <laughs> <laughs> so I think you can watch these four films and get all the information you need to know about the franchise. 100%. Because these, if there are four different tiers of quality to Bond movies, these are the four tiers. <laughs> GoldenEye is great. Tomorrow Never Dies is fine. The World Is Not Enough is not that good. And Die Another Day is terrible. Yeah. But further on from that, it almost feels like each of the four films represents the previous four actors who have, who have played Bond with their set of characteristics, right? So mm. Goldeneye is Timothy Dalton because it's a lot more personal, like License to Kill. It's yeah. a lot uh, darker than we've seen before. It's a lot grounded. It's trying to be a real film, which they didn't feel like they were trying to do or they'd lost sight of by the before um, The Living Daylights, which yeah. feels the most rounded um, at that point. Tomorrow Never Dies is George Lazenby. It's the forgotten outlier in that it has a very different subject matter from the previous films, and it's confident in this risky approach, though ultimately no one really remembers it, and it's not really in the conversation when we talk yeah. about and the films. And it's also kind of um, maybe a little bit unfairly shed upon yeah um, because mm. there's good stuff in there there's good like, stuff Lazenby, even though he's great um and honor majesty's secret service no that's not, yeah that is what it's called um it is. <laughs> uh is has great stuff in it it's still uh a byproduct of the connery era and mm. you know it's still yes. not great by association well so therefore it stands to reason that the world is not enough is sean connery um 
and I, I the world is not enough is a modern retelling of a connery style bond like if mm. you look at it with that lens it's so obviously that like the story structure the subject matter the pacing it's about oil you know it's about oil trade which is such a pulpy global issue that all the sean connery ones kind of like established as being yeah. where they go um both electra and christmas jones feel like connery bond girls one's like a seduct an evil seductress and the other is like a woman who's too smart for bond but still like like christmas jones in characterization feels very much like pussy galore not in performance but in characterization yeah. Yeah, yeah. um you know she's a bombshell professional who should be too good for him but succumbs to his boyish charm succumbs twice a year <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that of course leaves die another day which is inarguably roger moore it's turned up to 11 it's unabashedly silly and it probably actually needs to pump the brakes <laughs> like, it's, it's like silly in a bad way like it's it's being too loose <laughs> mm. yeah so is that that that's what i had what i had thought of for yeah no for that, that's scene. good and because i've noticed as well like and with this continue ongoing conversation of uh being somebody's bond like the, the each, each uh bond feels like has a generation that feels like they belong to them um everyone i've spoken to about these uh i it seems ashamed to have pierce brosnan as their bond um i think there's the least good the the if if every bond has a 10 has a 10 out of 10 movie like if you if you were to rank every bond's best movie as a 10 yeah i, I think uh pierce brosnan has the worst good to bad ratio and george lazeby has the best yes yeah <laughs> yeah obviously <laughs> um but yeah i think as well like there's something so middling about pierce brosnan mm. and, the, and the character like have you ever seen those um you know those things where it's like they overlay images of every person um to play a character or like this is what the average european looks like because it's you know mm-hmm. a thousand europeans um this is like if you did that for james bond you get pierce brosnan yeah yeah he's baby's first bond he's just is he's the quintessential james bond he's yeah. your introduction to the franchise and um what's james bond watch these four movies never watch any others because that's <laughs> yeah cool well then let's talk about theme songs um, yeah, one of our favorite segments for the James Bond episodes. So Goldeneye is like, oh fuck, all the names of the movies are just the names of the songs. So yeah. Goldeneye has Goldeneye. Uh, it's by Tina Turner and it was written by Bono and the Edge of U2. Mm. How does that go? It's like, Goldeneye yeah, found your weakness. Goldeneye. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, it's fine. Tina Turner's a great choice for a Bond theme, and um, very Shirley Bassey, like yeah, the, to bring uh, her in um, as his first theme. Great idea. Mm. Yeah. Um, the song itself is it's one of those ones where again it's kind of just like a pale imitation of like things that have been done better elsewhere by like Shirley Bassey and those mm. kind of like. Uh, although it is, it's very sexy. It's a very sexy song. Um, as, which is a perfect is introduction to, demo. to Brosnan. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, great voice. Um, songs kind of middle of the road for me. It's funny how they advertise it as being written by Bono and the Edge. Because mm. it's like, none of that is... You can't really experience any of what you would like you to for and Golden Eye as a song, you know? I, th- I think if you listen to it, 
you could imagine a version of that by U2. Okay, maybe. Maybe I just don't know U2 enough. Mm. Um, so Tomorrow Never Dies has Tomorrow Never Dies by Cheryl Crow. Uh, this one is, uh, is the one out of the four that I struggle the most to remember because it sounds like an undercooked The World Is Not Enough while Die Another Day feels like an overcooked The World Is Not Enough. <laughs> like the next three, yeah. I feel, are the same song. It's just this one doesn't go as hard as it could. The World Is Not Enough. I think is the best one. And then Die Another Day by Madonna, we will get to. Uh, what do you, th- what do you think um, of Tomorrow Never Sheryl Dies? Sheryl Crow is a really strange choice. Um, how's, it, how's it go? It's like, tomorrow never dies. Is that it? Yeah. Is that the, yeah? Yeah, yeah, something like that. But it, it's like, yeah. it's got this, um, uh, these like strings in it. Um, because mm. Sheryl Crow is like a country artist. Um, yeah. And so like a country Bond theme is a cool idea. Yeah, it's kind of like there's elements of it, but it's like I kind of would almost rather see, a, like, yeah, give us a country song that's a Bond theme, um, than tomorrow never dies. Than tr- trying to just like shove, uh, what you know, the, the the biggest artist right now who happens to be a country artist and just get her to do this song. Yeah, it's it's not the same as like Billie Eilish doing No Time to Die though, because No Time to Die is in Billie Eilish's style. And that's almost what's wrong with it. This is like getting Cheryl Crow to be like, conform to our our shaped peg in the ground, you know? Mm. Mm. Um, The World Is Not Enough is by a band called Garbage, and this is the only song I know of theirs. And this, Richard, this this might be my favourite one so far out of what we've done on the podcast. The world is not enough. Yeah, but you can it's so sexy it's such a sexy song it's so ah it's it, it, so this, smoky. Is, this is such a great um uh marriage of like rock band voice mm. and bond theme um, this is, it's so good i love it yeah because they're, they're like a um i guess like grunge probably mm, alternative so. kind of um uh but yeah it's like it still feels like garbage it's still like the band um <laughs> and yeah the the lead singer is um Shirley Manson uh mm-hmm. her voice works so well with that it's that kind of like husky kind of uh late night cigars and whiskey for for decades mm. will do that yeah, to your man. voice kind of thing it's that kind yeah, of like loungy yeah. sexy yeah. yeah it works really well and, and it's and, like um, vaguely tragic lyrics as well yeah it's definitely it's definitely up there in bond themes yeah i love it um okay die another day by madonna now as i said the opening sequence which integrates scenes of bond being tortured in north korea for 14 months great idea the song is your first indication that this movie is not going to be able to keep up it's it's extremely (laughs) high watermark that it sets because this song is the worst Bond song? Okay. This this song this is song. Better go- how's it how's it go? How's it go? It's da, 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 I, another I, day. It's very electronic and yeah. Um, oh, it sounds horrible. At one point, it sounds like the song's finished because one of the like techniques it uses like sharp, abrupt ends to like yeah. notes, and so you think the song's finished and nothing's happening, and then it comes back as die another day yeah if you don't think this is the worst one turn off this podcast right now because i don't want you (laughs) listening to to this this is Um, you know it's it's so bad it's so bad if 
yeah, if writing on the wall for Spectre is that zero, this is that minus 10. This is an absurd song. Die another day. I think I think the spectrum's different from music. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, I, I it, it's it's so bad. It's bafflingly like, and so it, it's interesting. Okay, talking about because before it was announced to be Billie Eilish, there was a big hubbub about who should do a Bond theme, and it's things like like Muse, like they already sound like Bond, and like something like Do I Want to Know, Arctic Monkeys, like they already all these people like oh they'd be so perfect for it. It's some same kind of thing because of die another day any fucking artist any song can be a bond theme there's no uh there, there is like a house sound for what a bond theme should sound like but, but even golden eye um doesn't have that house sound at all and it still kind of sounds appropriate exactly like, and and yeah. something like um it, it, even just when talking about artists Cheryl Crow's not a great choice for a Bond theme, but her one's fine. It sounds like a Bond theme. Um, mm. Madonna's, I mean, whatever. She's a fine choice for a Bond theme. She's a one of the biggest pop stars of all time, if not she's the biggest. She's in the film. And she's in she's the film. She's in Die Another Day. Um, <laughs> As a fencing instructor. And it's very egregious. <laughs> Yeah. Hello, woman who is just Madonna. You're just Madonna. Yeah. That's you have no more scenes than this. You are just a cameo from Madonna. Yeah, and, and it is like it's the most 2002 thing. I I, I just there, there's there's nothing redeeming about this. Die another day just encapsulates 2002. Yeah, it's it's the worst. It's the worst movie to be birthed out of shiny chrome new millennium steez right. And yeah, the, the song is just another one of the victims of that. And also, I um I should point out as well, we're very patriotic here at Cult Popshire. Uh, however, I uh, in my reading of the IMDb trivia page for Die Another Day, I did see that apparently uh, Lee Tamahori did come up with the um uh what's it called like windsurfing uh the the tsunami the tidal wave uh and he also he apparently he came in like punched up the script and added a bunch of just like real stupid sounding shit to oh, it Lee. and one was oh, that he Lee. was um one that was cut was having like 12 um women in leather cat suits chase after bond when he leaves the ice palace um and that in combination with rosamund pike's story about it being forced to strip down to her underwear in an audition um you know maybe he wasn't in the audition the directors don't always attend those things um but you know lee tamahori so for those not outside new zealand lee tamahori is famous in in new zealand for directing a very significant film for kiwi cinema called once we warriors which is this uh i i haven't actually seen it but i know a lot about it it's it's like this sorrowful sad movie about domestic violence and and maori communities um it's it's by all accounts have you seen it it's like fucking rough by all accounts. yeah it's, it's very it's a very dark very and yeah. you would think that the 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 man who directed that would have at least some sort of respect for the the woman characters like if you care enough to make a film about how bad domestic violence is you think you you would also not then immediately just contribute to rape culture and like one of the underlying mm. causes of domestic violence by making like a sexist ass bond movie that is crazy yeah he um 
the film he followed up Die Another Day with was Triple X, State of the Union. No um, shit. Yeah. Um, wow. Also, so just on Lee Tamahori's uh, Wikipedia page, um, if you go under personal life, on 8th of January 2006, Tamahori, this is under legal issues, uh, Tamahori, dressed as a woman, was arrested in Los Angeles for allegedly offering an undercover officer uh, oral sex. He was convicted only of criminal trespass, having pleaded no contest in exchange for other charges being dropped. Interesting. I don't, I, I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> yeah, that's a very... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Strange thing what a strange man all these elements we know about him (laughs) accumulating in that yeah (laughs) well richard let's talk about titles because we talk about titles a lot on this podcast too much i would say i agree and we've already (laughs) talked talked somewhat about how these titles came to be with tomorrow never lies and stuff like that um but as you'll remember from our previous james bond episodes i have these categories of james that every james bond title fits into and in another way in which pierce brosnan is baby's first bond each of his four films fits into one of the four categories i've 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 fudged one of them a bit but i think you will let me get away with it once i explain it oh i doubt i will i think you'll agree i think you'll agree and that your want for idiosyncrasy will be equal to my want and we'll both be happy with where i've placed Mm, it i you're maybe underestimating my want for you to be wrong and me to be right ah uh, that's very true that's very true are you right just by me being wrong <laughs> yeah, you can't be you right unless someone else is wrong <laughs> so the first category uh is the poetic slash mysterious turn of phrase which communicates a key idea or piece of imagery from the film these are for russia with love um, diamonds are forever a view to a kill uh, and tomorrow never dies is that because tomorrow is the name of the newspaper so it's mm-hmm. a turn a phrase but it is actually something specific to the film yeah um next category literally just the name of a character setting or prominent event or prop in the film often but not always adjective plus noun uh goldfinger thunderball um moonraker octopussy technically dr no and the man with the golden gun fit in this category though they maybe are their own fifth category but not not now uh and golden eye obviously is part of this category all right, broad titles you could give to literally any of the films in the series. So they apply to James Bond and not um, yeah. not the movie specifically. So Honor, Majesty, Secret Service is probably the best example of this. Um, the Spy Who Loved Me, For Your Eyes Only, License to Kill. I've put The World Is Not Enough in here. And this is the, because it's his family motto, you could call any of these The right. World Is Not Enough. If we're not taking into account title bombs, which we haven't before, um with these categories you could call any of these films the world is not enough with the information that that's his family motto which you might say is too much information but it's just as much information as knowing he has a license to kill you know mm. maybe i'm maybe i'm i'm reaching um 
So maybe you would rather put it in the last category, which is ominous phrases which don't really refer to anything specific in the film itself, which is live and let die, the living daylights, and die another day. I would I would swap die another day and water's not enough. You reckon? Yeah. Interesting. I don't know if I agree. Oh. Because you could call any of sure you could call any of the films die another day but you could also call any of the films live and let die or the living daylights yeah so there's only three categories is what you're telling me (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) um there is a difference between ones you could give any of the films in the series though and ones that you could give to any film you know right yeah, yeah, yeah yeah all right well that was fun um <laughs> love, love categorizing titles with you bro um this is how we're spending our quarantine let's move on to the last second last segment of today's episode which is continue the franchise um so this is where we're going to pitch some sequels to the brosnan era but before that let's go through some continuations that already kind of exist um mm. as is often the case brosnan's iteration has a whole set of supplementary material including books and video games obviously most notably and probably the most notable thing from james bond that isn't an original novel or mo- or movie is goldeneye 007 the nintendo 64 game mm. um which actually came out two years after Goldeneye. Did you know that? came out in 97. Um, The game is seen as a pivotal release in the annals of video game history with its pioneering multiplayer shooting shooter functionality remaining like the gold standard today. Yeah, I've I've never played it. Mm. Well, you you don't have Halo. You don't have Call of Duty without Goldeneye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially. But it feels like like I've missed out on a childhood. (laughs) I don't know. I've played it. I played it after my childhood though and I was was lukewarm on it. right it's oh nintendo 64 any game that doesn't have like internet connection feels like claustrophobic to me now like i can't get out of this game i'm stuck in whatever is on this disc or this cartridge in nintendo 64's case um so the game itself spawned a few sequels and remakes including uh, goldeneye rogue agent goldeneye source and goldeneye 007 reloaded which was a ground-up remake of the n64 game for the next generation of consoles and it featured daniel craig's bond and i think him voice acting um and a cover of the theme song goldeneye by nicole scherzinger um, forget about the Nicole Scherzinger thing, whatever. I find it super interesting that Daniel Craig essentially remakes Goldeneye in digital form, mm. right? Um, and that is not the last time that has happened because uh, 007 Legends, which is a PlayStation 4 mm. game, um, also is, is, is like a mission from each of the six Bonds, but yeah. you play as Daniel Craig in all of them. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I didn't realize that about it. Do, mm. Doesn't everyone is that not didn't everyone like re um bring their voices back for it or something that i don't th- i maybe maybe there's something did. that like most of them did their voices for right okay well we can look into this and maybe have a correction on the next episode if that's the case <laughs> uh there were rumors of spin-off series in the from the brosnan era as well um wei lin from tomorrow never dies or and jinx from die another day um were both 
written well no waylon was thought to maybe maybe she deserved a spin-off series while jinx was like written to be a spin-off a bull character right, yeah, yeah. um which i'm so glad they didn't do uh these would have acted as the winter olympics to the main series apparently right. so like if every few bond movies you get a jinx movie instead interesting yeah yeah uh mgm weren't keen though and they they pulled the plug and this apparently really bummed out barbara broccoli and the other eon producers um who really wanted to do interesting i mean i guess that's the way to do it like and yeah and maybe that's a hint at what is to come for the future of bond who who are we to say yeah well i mean because we're getting a a black female 007 and precisely no time to die yeah all right, what is your continue the franchise for Pierce Brosnan and Bond? Uh, okay, my continue the franchise is let's just explore some of the ideas we had in um, Die Another Day again uh, in the same way that Spectre brings black, brings back Blofeld. And we've had, you know, fucking like half a dozen of these films are set in Russia. I want to see what a Daniel Craig or whoever the next Bond is, like I want to see that era of Bond, the way we tell stories now, uh explore bond doing a mission in north korea i think that's such an interesting like um uh log line for a film is like it's the north korea one you know we've talked about like that but let's see that fully explored i want to see a a gritty realistic bond tortured for 14 months i want to see every second of it um (laughs) i want um but yeah i want to see what the, the way we tell stories now i want to see a realistic character have to deal with that and that you know he, he's he'd have severe ptsd going back mm. into the field wouldn't be easy but you would have to do it for england for england, and so that's yeah. that's what i want to say that, that's really cool and I, as i said before like just if, if all of die another day if it was like this this bottle episode of just mm. james bond escaping a prisoner a north korean prisoner camp mm. that'd be fine like people would be like it's such a departure from the series and it's like yeah but you can do that every once in a while i mean golden yeah, you can do that departure 40 years into a franchise <laughs> that's a cool idea man i could Thank definitely you. see that working it could be like a video game as well yeah um, yeah sweet well my idea is i want to um specifically from the brosnan era but maybe further back i want to revisit the bond girls from previous films and -hmm. just examine how emotionally damaged and they are and look from being used and abused (laughs) because it's like it's i think it would be it would be one thing if um the the woman he encounters in each movie if there's kind of like an understanding that it's like i'm kind of i don't really do tied down relationships but like he kind of pierce brosnan at least and i think i think timothy dalton as well they play it like they've fallen in love you know what i mean yeah yeah they don't play it like it's just another fling and some fun on the mission they play it like they've they've met the woman of their dreams it's subtle but it is there and i think a lot of the women respond in a similar way i think um the the love interest in the living daylights as we talked about in the dalton episode mm. is like how did they break up that sounds so sad like they were <laughs> such a she she seemed she was such a nice person um and i kind of feel similar about a lot of the brosnan girls that it's like they seem to form 
genuine connections in each of the Brosnan films. I'd say it seems like they form genuine connections with each other and then they're just gone without a trace in the next film. So what's um, the uh what form is is, is this taking that you're What do you reckon? Is it a movie or is it more I reckon like, it's um, like a um like Carol Brown by Flight of the Concords. Oh yeah. It's a chorus of ex-girlfriends uh, um, yeah, singing yeah. all of James's problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. All right, that's my continue the franchise. Um <laughs> which I thought of last night when I was just thinking about how like like he he saves Jinx and die another day because she's like freezing to death and he picks her up and runs and jumps into like a, a warm pool so mm. that like to put her body temperature back up and he's so concerned richard he's like yeah. come on like and it's it's a well, you know it's a good laid it's a good performance if pierce brosnan is being given the direction yeah. you are in love with her but it's not a good performance necessarily if it's like you're gonna probably leave her in a few days um mm. Okay, so now to our final segment of the show, Richard, is Rank That Franchise, where we go to our letterbox ranking on letterboxd.com slash coldpopshire slash list slash FFF dash ranking. And we are going to place Goldeneye and the Pierce Brosnan, like Goldeneye will represent the Pierce Brosnan films. Now, Live and Let Die the and the Roger Moore films are placed at 43 Timothy Dalton is placed at the at um forty four, so exactly at one after Roger Moore with uh, Sean Connery somewhere in the dregs down below. <laughs> that we don't. Um, it is around ear. It's better than Earbud. Uh, now the question is: Is Goldeneye so good that it's better than all of Moore's combined? Um, or all okay. of here's what Dal- I'm thinking. Dalton's combined. When we made this list, we famously created a nymphomaniac constant because nymphomaniac volume one is one of the best films we've watched for the for the podcast and volume two is awful and so they cancel each other out and it's the it's almost the 10 to minus 10 thing that nymphomaniac cancels itself out and becomes a perfect zero so if a franchise is more good than is more good than bad we can put it above that if it's more bad than good we can put it below that this is the same this has yeah. everything. Like this is a perfect, like you and qual. It's a perfect parabola. You're right. In quality, it's like we have yeah, another constant. The best one and the worst one, and then two that are like either side of good. <laughs> You're fucking right. It's poetry, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so that would mean it's better than Moore and Dalton with that logic. I, I think so. I think it's 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 highs are higher, but it's lows are definitely lower. So is it the only, do you know, the only film, the only franchise between Roger Moore and Nymphomaniac is Twilight. So Richard, I ask you, are the Brosnan Bond films better or worse than Twilight? I think, I think it needs to go right next to Nymphomaniac. Is it better than Nymphomaniac? Because they're the same, but I'm trying to think of. Well, one has to be better or worse. What's worse? Nymphomaniac um or, or nymphomaniac volume one's probably better than goldeneye i agree yeah so it goes between nymphomaniac and twilight yeah what a strange list nymphomaniac brosnan bond twilight more bond dalton bond the santa claus <laughs> and, and then the santa claus <laughs> and, and then 
And then you go all the way down and Dr. No is at number 80. So Connery Bond is between the Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants and Air Bud. <laughs> I know it just annoys so many like old-timey film snobs. All right, so that's where it's placed. It is currently at number 42. Wow, that's a fun number for all our nerdy friends. Hitchhiker's Guide fans out there. Yeah. Uh, cool. All right, so that's, let's uh, that's... wrap this bad boy up, shall we? All right, well, thank you for listening, everybody. Go check out um, the episode of Kaiju Weekly that I'm guesting on. It'll be out in a couple of days. Um, and come on and get on the Cold Pop Shop bandwagon. And... <laughs> come on and uh, slam and welcome. Welcome to, to the, the jam. jam. <laughs> that is Cold Pop Shop on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Uh, I didn't write this down. I said I was going to write it down. Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Cold Pop uh, Wherever you get your podcasts, we're there. We've also got the Cold Pop Shop podcast YouTube channel if you prefer to listen to podcasts on YouTube. Uh, we have a Discord. Please join the Discord. We would love you to, to come along and chat with us. Um, we, we met a new a new friend on the discord who joined this past week what was their name jellyfish or something i'm gonna look it up um so come along to there you can chat with us you can we've talked we just mentioned before that we might be doing um some kind of fun quarantine the quarantine screening let us know if you have any ideas we've got some of our own and uh those expect those within the next four weeks uh when we're uh quarantined jelly fang is the new that's right remember so welcome Sup, welcome to jelly the, fang welcome to the cult jelly fang um and yeah please do all those things i just said follow us on twitter at cult pop Show, mm. and instagram at send, at us, send us little kisses little kisses richard i thought you only came once a year <laughs> i don't know where you're getting your information from <laughs> I can see you coming right now. (laughs) (laughs) Aw, AJ. That is the, that has got to be one of the sweetest endings to an episode (laughs) of the, of film franchise Fortnite's I've heard in my entire bloody life. Yeah. Well, don't get used to it. All right. (laughs) Hello. Thanks for sticking around till the end. Uh, This is, um, a little wee cheeky wee uh, post credit. <laughs> the post credit scene, Richard. I'll be honest. I'm raw dogging the microphone right now. I've got no um pop filter. Oh pop my gosh, filter. Um, so apologies in advance for that. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this is uh, this is our Patreon post credit sequence, where if you donate either five dollars or more at www.patreon.com slash cultpopsha you can give us a little subject to discuss in this this our post credit sequence um so richard today's post credit sequence comes to us from michael baston he asks if you had a sports movie what would it be about very interesting question as neither of us are particularly sporty yeah though i feel you know more about sport than i do though you still probably wouldn't say you're a sporty person Uh, i would not say i'm a sporty person but i would say i'm a lot sportier than you Um, (laughs) and uh, that's important i would um so the the question is if i had to make a sports movie what would it be about and there is uh an annual film competition in new zealand called the 48 hour film festival um where you are given a genre and you have to make a film in that genre and i've always said that if i got sport i would make up a sport 
Um, and so, and it would be like, uh, y- you know, taking these cliches of sports movies um, and applying it to some nonsensical sport. Every time you get a glimpse of what the sport actually is, uh, you know, th- they they would not go together. Either that or I would make the sport be like um, tiddlywinks or jacks or something like that. And it's, you've got this, these life or death, like college, college scholarships that you're fighting for, um, but you never fully understand what the sport is. Because to me, um, not only is that really funny, but it's also like a commentary on like, how the fucking it doesn't matter what the sport is what matters is the the um the message and the kind of uh overall mm. theme of like the underdog and and teamwork and things like that yeah i'm gonna exploit a loophole in michael's question which word for word verbatim is if you had to make a sports movie what would it be about what would my sports movie be about michael it'd be about people yeah nice it'd be about friendship or something like that uh, because that is infinitely more interesting to me than they're my dumb I'll- fucking movie <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you michael we'll see you guys next time hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 